And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, February 2nd. I think this episode's going to be out by the end of the day, Wednesday. It was supposed to come up Thursday. Eno's traveling, so we're doing this a day early. It's our second base preview, and it's exciting because second base, not as bad as it used to be. Not quite as deep as it appears, though. We'll explain why over the course of this episode. So we're going to do the same sort of format that we did with our shortstop preview earlier in the week, taking a look at overvalued, undervalued players, potential sleepers, just players that you should be thinking about at various points in your draft or in a salary cap draft situation as well. So we talked about Trey Turner at the top of the board on the shortstop preview. You know, no need to get real deep into any sort of detail with him here. Of course, he has that multi-position eligibility right now because, you know, embarrassments of, of riches in Los Angeles. But Ozzy Albies, I think, is really interesting because by ADP, he is the second second base eligible player coming off the board right now. If you want to draw him into the first tier, I'm not going to fight back on that. And the reason why is because when you run the auction calculator, he's right there with Bo Bichette. And Bo Bichette, as we talked about just a couple days ago, lives inside the first six, usually, of most drafts right now happening at the NFBC. So my question for you is Ozzy Albies actually a first-rounder in disguise? No, actually, I think he goes exactly where he's supposed to go in terms of <laughs> if you sort by ADP uh, and then you look at the auction calculator results, he fits right in. He's a $26 player, and that's kind of a second-rounder, and that's where he goes. It, I just wanted to point out to anybody who's been listening that we use the Fangraphs auction calculator. It's under the Projections tab on Fangraphs, and that usually when we're – at least – speak for myself here usually i have that uh set up for 15 teams um you know we may differ a little bit on what projection system we use from time to time i see some things in the show notes about the bat x uh <laughs> i i use the bat most of the time but atc is a sort of meta projection that looks at all of the projections that's a, a strong projection system to use and you can use all the different ones that are in there but uh when we uh, cite values it's probably either the bat uh, or ATC, or we'll, we'll say it's different. Um, and so anyway, the, the thing that's interesting about to me about Albies is opportunity cost. It's not necessarily, I think he's going exactly where he should go. The only thing is that when I threw pitchers in and, and switched over to the pitchers tab, I realized that there were three pitchers that go right where he goes or later that are projected to be worth more. Now, you always have to think about if you're going to do like a mental um, sort of revision downward on, on pitcher numbers, right? Because of their injury risk and stuff like that. Uh, and especially with this trio, Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Zach Wheeler's had some injury history. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily put him in the same injury risk categories as the other two, but he's also maybe not as good as the other two if you get a full season. 
anyway, I think that's the big decision that people have with Ozzy Albies is do I take Ozzy Albies or did I not get a first round pitcher and do I want one of these guys in the second or third? Yeah, I don't really have a, a case against Albies based on skills, role. I mean, he's a max volume player. We saw Atlanta do that with their kind of core trio of guys. So Swanson, Freeman, Albies were playing a ton last year. Acuna, if you were healthy, would have been part of that group as well. Even with that little weakness against lefties, it's like they, they're going to keep him in there. Yeah, he's a absolute max volume player. So that keeps the floor up, similar to a guy like Marcus Simeon. He's a lot younger. I think we're beginning to have a lot more confidence in the power. I mean, a 30 home run season from Albies a year ago. Uh, if you thought he was capped at mid-20s power, well, you were wrong. And I think I was part of that group. Uh, it's a little interesting to me. I mean, he's coming off a 259, 310, 488 line. Those first two numbers are not the beginning of a slash line of a guy that often goes in the early round. Of course, Albies also ran a lot last year. He was 20 for 24 as a base dealer. I think you could make an argument that Last year was everything going right health and skills wise, and you're more likely to get 25 homers and 15 steals with probably a better batting average and a boatload of runs and RBIs. That's still a really good player. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll concur with you. I don't think he's a first rounder in disguise, but I thought it was interesting that looking at him next to Bo Bichette, the projections on the dollar values were a lot closer than I would have expected. Pitching falls off a lot faster in terms of value, as you're going to see the shape of second base. It's more of a, a slow, I don't know, it'd be like a water slide. The water slides have to be kind of like slow and not not ridiculous. A roller coaster can can drop a little faster than a water slide because of its design, right? So Because of death. Because of death, right. So I would say <laughs> sec, second base is more of a water slide. Starting pitching is more of a roller coaster. When you think about that, uh. you, you have that urgency in the middle to late part of round two to, to take a picture yeah. and then say, yeah, I'm going to wait and, and dig into this this depth or these similarly quality players available. I do have an eat this, not that for Ozzy Albies. And who is it? India. Jonathan India is Ooh. Albies equal or superior in most of the ways that I cite on this cast in terms of reach rate. Albies is superior. I mean, uh, India is superior. Barrel rate. India is is equal. And uh, the only thing that separates them is the speed. And I and it, it could be nice to be like, oh, but India rookie, you know, like, you know, maybe he'll take off more. The thing that's most predictive of stolen bases in the stat cast suite is times to first, not necessarily raw sprint speed. It's times to first. Hmm. And. Ozzy Albies is 42nd in the big leagues in time to first, and Jonathan India is 213th. Oh, okay. There's your there's your little difference. It's only 0.15 <laughs> seconds, but it's a big deal. Not a very far distance, so the the seconds matter. Yeah, the seconds like, are crucial. It's like saying somebody won the you know broke the 100 yard dash by only 0.15 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> like right. It's like well, no, that's a it's <laughs> a big deal given uh, what we're looking at. The uh, second tier at the position, I, I think it's really small. I think it's just two guys. I think it's Whit Merrifield and Marcus Simeon. Again, max volume guys, not quite at the power level of Albies in the case of, of Whit Merrifield, but he runs more. I think the thing with Merrifield that I keep tripping over is that for his age as a late breakout player, I keep thinking he's going to be a relatively fast decline guy. And things are holding up really well. I know you just mentioned the time to first is probably more important than sprint speed, but I was just looking at sprint speed year over year. Whit Merrifield has been above the 85th percentile in sprint speed his entire time in the big leagues. He's not losing speed. 
I don't think he's losing playing time, even as that roster gets better. He's versatile enough to play multiple spots. He's good by outs above average at second base. So if I'm not drafting Whit Merrifield as a early speed play and pretty stable source of batting average, I'd say as well, I feel like I'm going to be wrong about him again. And I don't think I can be wrong about Whit Merrifield four times and, and, and feel good about it. The thing I'm worried about is flipping on Whit Merrifield and having the things I feared all along actually finally come through now. But honestly, I haven't found any reasons to believe that decline is looming just over the horizon for Whit. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. He's got 40 steals. I think in some case, you know, the, the, the actual magic uh, formula for predicting stolen bases is like sort of team strategy, like team uh, takeoff percentage uh, plus times to first because again uh, times to first he's 177th uh, he's you know closer to India than to Albies here are some interesting names that are faster than him going to first Dylan Carlson uh, Haseong Kim uh, Eduardo Escobar Bobby Dalbeck is faster to first base Bobby Dalbeck's um, faster so, to first base wow uh, so, but I think what's happening is that the Royals are just comfortable with him stealing bases and they think that's uh, good for them. And with a 40 out of 44 success rate, uh, there must be either a coaching factor there or just, uh, he's, he's like, you know, got some of that, you know, the best base dealers do have some of that knowledge where they're just like, they scout the opposing players. They know exactly when to go. They know all the different little moves and, and, and you know, really get the pitch, get to know the pitchers. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I still don't end up with many shares of his because, um, you know, these low power guys uh, scare me. He's 33. So I kind of feel like the, the wheels have, you know, got to slow down at some point. Uh, he's projected to be uh, a league average bat. So it's not um, it's it's almost all on the steals, you know. Uh, just makes me nervous to pick someone like that at the top. You know, I'd pick someone like that in the middle for sure. But do those concerns apply to Starling Marte? Because I think from a roto standpoint, those are fairly similar profiles. The projections give Marte a little more power. Same age. They're both 33. I mean, Marte came into the league a lot younger, but Marte hits the ball a lot harder. Yeah. And I think that just that gives just you so much just... more buffer. Yeah, just it's like, you know, I think the worst case scenario for for uh, Marte is more like 18 homers, 18 stolen bases, whereas the worst case scenario for Whit Merrifield is like, you know, five homers and 25 stolen bases or something. It's just a question of like, you know, all around goodness. I want to ask you about Marcus Simeon because he's in a less friendly environment and is facing some kind of downgrade to the supporting cast. No matter how good the Rangers are this year, they're not going to be the 2021 Blue Jays as a lineup. Projections basically say, at least the bad X projections within the auction calculator basically say, do not draft him at ADP. That doesn't necessarily solve all of the possible problems. One, there could be a reason why Semyon is an outlier. So if you have a reason for that, I'd love to hear it. And two, you might be in a situation where you're building in that salary cap draft format where you can go get anybody you want, where it's dollar for dollar, pick the players you want, in which case I think there's no issue at all with Marcus Simeon. I almost wonder if he's just the kind of guy that, for reasons that we were discussing about Albies, similar reasons at least, you can say there's just not enough that could separate him over another full season from the next group that makes me feel like I have to go get him where other 
more interesting players are. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy who has had two massive seasons in the last two full seasons we've had. 19 and 21 for Marcus Simeon were outstanding. And it just seems like he's not getting enough credit for what he did in those two seasons. Yeah, I mean, the projections are all pretty lined up. So it's not necessarily something we need to, you know, hang on the bad X. I mean, his his ISO uh, projections range from 209 from Steamer uh, to 233 for the bat and 219 for the bad X. So I, d- I think they all say that this adjustment he's made, he made a big adjustment where he started to target uh, the top half of the ball on four seamers so that he could get, uh, he could go flush through high four seamers. So now he's a bit of a kind of like the Jose Bautista strategy where he can really launch high four seamers uh, for homers. Uh, and that helps him, you know, sort of spit on the breaking balls uh, and stuff like that. So it has, I think that's the source of his, newfound barrel rate his newfound power rate uh so i'm buying and i would say maybe i take the over on a lot of these projected isos um so he could play less and still hit 30 homers which is i think a risk because you've got a guy who had 703 plate appearance 747 plate appearances you know 20 you know whatever that is and then 724 last year so this is a guy that you know if you do buy him and you do buy in, you're saying the projections are missing the fact he's probably going to get to 700 again because the projections will never project anybody for 700 plate appearances because that's just how they work. Nobody nobody just does 700 plate appearances year in and year out. But Marcus Simeon is one of the hardest workers I've ever seen live, and uh, he keeps good care of himself. He's an athletic guy, and maybe he could do 700 again. And if he can do 700 again and the power level is real, now you got a 35 homer guy. Yeah, I think you get more power ceiling from Simeon than you get from a lot of the guys that are in Tier 3, which is a large group of very good players. This is where most people seem to be uh, addressing the second base position this year, so I'm just kind of curious to see how he stacks up to this group as we run through it. Uh, For us, based on ADP, Tier 3 right now includes Javier Baez, Jose Altuve, Brandon Lau is in this group, Jazz Chisholm, who we talked a little bit about, I think, on Monday. We'll probably get more into him today. Catel Marte, Jorge Polanco, Tommy Edmond, and Jonathan India if we're drawing the line at the uh, top 100 mark. So all of those guys between like pick 60 and pick 95 in drafts over the last two weeks or so over at the NFBC. We talked a lot about Baez on Monday, so I don't think we want to get back into him here. But I think Semyon versus Marcus, El- or Marcus Semyon versus Jose Altuve is a really interesting sort of problem because the existence of Altuve and my confidence in his floor makes me feel less urgency to take Semyon where he goes. I think Semyon has more power. I trust Semyon's power more, relatively speaking, but I think the setup for Altuve is still very good. We saw the runs pop again last year, drives in plenty, not really any sort of batting average downside, whereas I think Semyon has a little bit of that. We did see the strikeout rate get into the low 20s again for him last year. Altuve is still running a sub 15% K rate. So, you know, I know this is a position where players don't age particularly well, but Jose Altuve is kind of my optimal second base target right now based on ADP and overall expectations. Yeah, it's fascinating just to think, you know, here's a guy who had 599 plate appearances, 548 in 2019, 678 last year. year. Which one's going to have more plate appearances this year? I mean, 100%, everyone's going to say, Marcus Simeon, right? Mm-hmm. 
you have to give me odds to say different. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, you have to give me odds, but you could give me odds because we have odds in terms of ADP, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so you know, if, if you kind of do that, eat this, not that. I, I could see it without Tuve. For me, that's India, um, and uh, and I just wanted to ask you something. Do you have uh, max picks uh, in there? That you're I looking do. At? What's the max picks for max pick for India Altuve? Same in. The latest or the earliest? Earliest. The earliest. So the min pick on Altuve is forty. Mm-hmm. The min pick on India is forty-eight. And uh, Simeon, it's probably like seventeen. Yeah, it is interesting to think that, like, yes, uh, India's ADP is ninety, but I I've been in drafts where I was like, I'm going to get India next round, or I'm going to get India in two rounds, and I'm excited. I get excited about, it, and then he goes. So there, there are uh, people who are super excited about India who will take him early. Uh, so that's something to think about. Maybe the idea is India or Altuve, if not Simeon. You know what I mean? Like it's really better to have two or three ideas uh, because you know you don't want to sit there. The worst thing is in, in the draft and you're like, oh god, oh god, I'm gonna have to get a third <laughs> tier second baseman if I don't get India. You know, and you're just like counting down the picks. So. Best to best to kind of group uh, these guys. One one guy that I think stands out that I love him to death, Brandon Lau. Uh, if you kind of sort by uh, barrel rate last year, Brandon Lau had the best barrel rate of any regular second baseman. Um, if <laughs> here's some sleepers for you, if you want some uh, low sample barrel rate guys, Travis Blankenhorn, Andy Young, who can't uh, who can't make contact in Arizona. And Max Moroff were the only guys, uh, but uh, they combined for about 150 plate appearances. Anyway, Brandon Lau, uh, your barrel leader. The one thing is, I looked at his uh, lefty-right splits. I know I'm not uh, genius for this, but um, you know, for his career, he has an 83 WRC plus against lefties, and that counts 2020's 200 WRC plus, where we thought maybe he's an everyday player now. Um, his strikeouts to walks against lefties are seven percent walk rate to 36 percent strikeout rate against lefties and against right is 11 and 26 so he's a fundamentally different player against lefties i think he doesn't see them i think the process numbers tell you that he doesn't see lefties well and we're about to see a, a raised team that's going to add bruhan and taylor walls uh, maybe from the get-go as uh as utility guys that could uh play for him against lefties yeah, it's a definite concern. I think we probably saw the max volume for Brandon Lau's playing time last season, 615 plate appearances. It's hard to imagine him going above that number given the issues with lefties that he's had for the bulk of his career. But is he a little undervalued? Because the power seems really stable. I don't think the batting average is coming down any lower than the 240s. I mean, I think there's more evidence to suggest he's a 260, 270 guy. Projections are kind of more in the 240, 250 range. But if you expect that and you get 30-plus homers with great run production, this is something that I think we maybe didn't get into enough when we were discussing Wander on the shortstop episode. The Rays were second in the league in runs scored last year. Mm-hmm. So playing time in that lineup is extremely valuable because they produce so many runs that you're just going to be in a great spot to rack up those counting stats. I wonder if that's a path for Brandon Lau to actually end up being slightly undervalued even though his playing time outlook probably can't get any better than it was a year ago. 
Yeah, there's this really interesting thing that happens in the auction calculator. If you look at it, Jorge Polanco, Cattell Marte, and Brandon Lau, and even Jonathan India are kind of $15 to $20 players. If you don't count Jonathan India, uh, those guys are $17 to $20 players. They come up right behind Merrifield, who's a $20 player, except there's a 50-point drop in ADP. So that is definitely something you can do, which is to say, I'm going to eat this, not that. And uh, and it's a good strategy, like I said, to have three guys where you're like, okay, uh, I'm just going to wait. And as, you know, Polanco, Marte, and Lau go off the board, I'm going to get one of those guys uh, later on in the fifth or something or the sixth. The only problem is, and this is something we talk about with shortstop, is you're not going to get stolen bases from those guys. So you're going to have to have either a shortstop that steals. I think you really want to have a shortstop steals bases and uh, an outfielder, or maybe you got Jose Ramirez, um, and and you're going to have a couple outfielders. But it it will kind of turf you a little bit because there are a lot of stolen bases in this in this position, and Lau uh, and Marte and Polanco are not going to necessarily give them to you. Uh, but you know, Marte is an interesting guy too because we talked about him last year on this cast, and I I, I hope none of you all feel burned because. You know, the one thing that we said was that his max EV and his his, his batted ball quality and his barrel rate were to, were going to regress uh, in a positive way uh, and that he'd have more power. And all those things were true. Um, you know, injury is just unfortunately one of those things uh, that uh, that sneaks up. And for Cattell Marte, uh, it was really obvious when it comes to his sprint speed. Uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, times to first um, and... Uh, Oh man, I had this in my notes somewhere, uh, but um, uh, we heard talking about times to first, and uh, and Marte's time to first last year was three hundred and thirty third. Yeah, it sounds like a guy who was hurt. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So maybe he can get back up to India's level and have you know eight to ten stolen bases. Uh, but mostly, I think I would think of him as a Polanco Lao type, where uh, you know there's a little you're shifting sliders around. They're not exactly all the same, right? But you're you're not going to get that many steals. And uh, with Marte, you're going to get you know mid twenties homers, maybe maybe higher if he's a f- healthy for a full season and a really good batting average. Uh, with Lao, you're going to get all those homers and a few steals. And with Polanco, you kind of get the most balanced uh, you know output of the of the three. But in each case, you're not going to get a plus sign uh, on your stolen bases. You're not going to uh, leap ahead, which uh, is fine if you got your stolen bases somewhere else. So it's just something worth pointing out. I think that's a big part of that 50-point drop. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just where where those dollars come from determines how much more aggressive people are with Merrifield and the others. Because if you look at the breakdown by dollar, like $7 of that value from Whit Merrifield's coming from speed. Yeah. Uh, I think Trey Turner is the only player on the list that's ahead of him. Almost $10 of Trey Turner's value comes from projected stolen bases. Tommy Edmond's not that far behind. And I do think there's some similarities just in in the power profile being reasonably light. Although I think Tommy Edmond is one of those guys that has a, a better max exit velo than you might think. So the 10 or 12 homers he's likely to hit might be more stable than people realize. The speed's not that far behind Whit Merrifield's. Uh, playing time is not really a concern. He's versatile, just like Wit, where he can move off second base if they needed him to, but he's good defensively there, so they probably wouldn't do that. I think there's a really strong case to pass on Merrifield in that top 30, 35 overall because you've got a shot at Tommy Edmond later 
The only problem with that is when you play that game of chicken with steals and you're trying to get 30 bags from someone, if you get sniped, it's not as easy to recover once you get to this range. It becomes a lot more difficult, even within this position, to find another guy that you could say, yeah, I actually see 30 steals coming from this guy who's also available later. You start getting into you know, the mile straws of the world eventually where you're saying, well, I'm taking this guy that really only gives me two categories, maybe three categories, because I have to chase speed. So that's the the downside of it. But I think from a, like a pure skills standpoint, I'm pretty content to sit back and take Edmund instead of Merrifield if I'm looking for speed at second base in this range. Yeah, I think they're actually really comparable. In fact, it goes beyond um, you know, just their projections. These these are guys that hit the ground running older, you know, had to kind of push their way into the big leagues. They both play in massive parks that help sort of suppress what power they do have. Um, so, you know, I kind of see them as, as pretty similar. And then, you know, they even have, uh, some dual eligibility going on. They have the exact same second base outfield eligibility. And you're right. If you, if you really want steals from second base and you target Edmund and you don't get him, there's nobody after him. The only guy after him in projections is Jazz Chisholm, but his ADP is higher. Mm-hmm. So there's nobody after him that even gives you $3 of value from sec- from steals other than Garrett Hampson, uh, who is projected to be a five dollar player. So, and, and I think with, you're taking a lot of a lot of different risks with Garrett Hampson. You know, it's not just how good is he going to be; it's how much is he going to play, where is he going to play, is he a regular, all that sort of deal. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We didn't get much into Jazz on Monday's episode, so I think we should talk about him here. Second and short, eligible. Plenty of power. I think the plate skills have always been good in the sense that he's always drawn walks. I think this could be a really fun profile if it all continues to trend in the right direction. I think there's kind of this snap reaction for some people to look at the K-rate only and and say he's a little bit too much like Javier Baez, but he's not. When you look at the underlying numbers, the walk rate's a big part of this too. He doesn't chase outside the zone nearly as much as someone like Baez. If you look at him compared to any hitter last year that had 100 plate appearances or more, Jazz Chisholm ranked 172nd in O-swing percentage. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's where Jorge Polanco was. That's where Trevor Story was. That's where Jeff McNeil was, different type of hitter. Uh, that's where Tatis was, right? So the approach is good. The underlying stat cast numbers are good. He runs. He's young. 
I'm warming up to the idea that, you know, even though batting average could be a short-term concern, I think the floor with Jazz is actually safer than I thought it was at the beginning of draft season. Yeah, well, I mean, he's there's a lot of hopes tied up into him, so I think the Marlins aren't going to, like, send him down if he's bad for 100 plate appearances, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an important aspect, you know? I was just listening to Dan Zimborski uh, speak on Ariel Cohen's podcast about his projections, and he said that when he does long-term projections, he includes contract status and uh, previous long-term pr- playing time, uh, you know, in order to get a sense of how likely that player is to keep playing. And he said it was a different example, very different. Albert Pujols, he, he you know, other projection systems said he wouldn't play as much going forward, but Zips, uh, Dan Zaworski's projection said, no, he's got this big contract, you know, he's, they're going to play him until the end or, or near the end. And, you know, Zips ended up being right about that. I think that's uh, a concern here with the with Jazz. It's, it's not a concern. It's that they're going to play him. He's the, their potential star, right? So he's going to play the full season. And the worst case scenario is, yeah, you get a 210 batting average for that. But you should get a bunch of power and steals. And to your point about the O-swing, the O-swing also went up and down fairly radically last season. If you do these the, the game-by-game graphs, uh, you can do rolling graphs on fan graphs where just click on graphs and then do like 15 game rolling graphs, you'll see that uh, every time his O-swing went down, his K percentage went down at, right after that. So um, I still see some some real upside there where he could improve that O-swing just a little bit. And he had some nice years in the minors in terms of walk rate. We don't have, you know, minor league O-swing data, but like, you know, he had some nice years for walk rate. So I think the eye is in there and there's just one little tweak that turns this guy into a superstar frankly right and 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 a Javier and a Javier Baez comp is actually super exciting I think because you don't necessarily need to worry about Javier Baez's flaws at 30 yet <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've still got all those years in between so I, I think you know here's a guy that worst case scenario gives you 210 2020 uh best case scenario I mean we could be talking 275 30 30. I mean, th- he has those skills. Um, and, you know, as long as you covered yourself or as long as you're okay punting batting average or you covered yourself batting average-wise, uh, I think he's a great pick. I And and he isn't the type of player I, that I usually fall in love with. I think from just a, a roster construction standpoint, we talk about it with cheap power all the time. I don't like padding my batting average to go get cheap power later because a lot of those cheap power guys have playing time risk because they're not good defenders. So mm-hmm. they can end up getting pushed out of some playing time. I think with a guy like Jazz who plays up the middle and has that speed, that the 15 to 20 steals seems like a, a lock for him over a full season with room for more, as you suggested. I'll I'll pad my average earlier and accept the downside and batting average from Jazz, knowing that there's so many other ways that he can make up that difference that I'm I'm fine with that. Like I think that's a huge difference in in, in speed guys versus power guys that you can get even later that look like great values on the surface, but I think kind of have some hidden ways that they really mess up your roster. Uh, but this is Wait, a really I gotta, strong I got to do group. something weird here real quick. <laughs> on air, on air typing. Oh, yes, this is the good stuff. Uh, but Everyone's I, what I'm doing thing. right now is I'm creating a custom player list on Fangraphs. I've got John Segura and Jazz Chisholm Jr. <laughs> you knew, you knew Can't you help wouldn't. yourself. 
<laughs> couldn't help yourself. But uh, I just combined them by uh, by using league stats. So if you had had both of those guys on your team last year, you would have gotten a 270 average and 32 homers and 32 stolen bases from your SS, your shortstop uh, middle infield combo. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, you could just, you can counterweight Jazz with, with one good batting average player, and that's probably enough. Michael Brantley. Yeah, that could work. He's about as cheap as he's been since the injuries a few years back. Uh, tier three, really nice group of, of second basemen. Again, I think you want to have at least one second base eligible player by the time that group's gone, because even though there's a lot of multi-position eligible guys in there, it's about a dozen players in that group, and there's a clear drop-off going into tier four. Some of this is health-related. Some of this is just some questions about skills, but you go between picks 100 and pick 200, this giant cluster, you know, it's DJ LeMayhew, Jake Cronenworth, Ty France, Chris Taylor, Max Muncie, who's got the elbow injury right now, Brendan Rogers, Luis Urias, Ryan McMahon, and Colton Wong. Of all those players, only Colton Wong is a non-multi-position player. Everybody else qualifies somewhere else. This is how major league teams find second basemen, right? You, you, it's very rare to have a second base prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, like the only one I can think of right now is like Jeter Downs, right? And he's kind of a guy who's supposed to be shortstop at first. Right? He was a shortstop at first, yeah. Mo- just about every one of those second base prospects at the end of the time, like even Segura. I think Segura kind of became a second base prospect. The Brewers got him in that deal. I think it was the Grinky deal. And then they moved him to shortstop, and people were like, whoa, can he still play that? And mm-hmm. he did for a little while. But, uh, yeah, this is Second not a position you're found. groomed for. Second base are found. You kind of fall into it. You, some, either someone else in your team is better at shortstop than you, or you know you don't have a good enough arm to play third. And defensive shifts have also, I think, lowered the threshold for the athleticism necessary Max to play Muncy. the position. <laughs> I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't trying to throw shade at Max Muncie, but yeah, I mean, I never thought Mike Mustakis was going to play second base. Yeah, like, yeah. Just the, the types of players that teams put there are just different now. Am I right in saying that the only one of these that was a top one hundred prospect was Brendan Rodgers? Uh, Luis Urias was, and Luis Ryan was. Ryan McMahon, I think, was as well. Was Chris Taylor back in the day? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot more found value here than than uh, you know predicted value. But uh, I do I do like these guys, and I do like the multi-eligibility. I just wouldn't want these guys to be my starter at second because I don't think I would be getting as much value out of them as I could be. I'd rather these guys were my MIs, my middle infielders, you know? Because then I could, you know, in DJ LeMahieu's case or, or Jake Cronenworth or Ty France, put them over at corner infield and make them the backup at corner infield as well. Um, and then the other thing is Max Muncy by projections is the one that stands out. He shouldn't be in this tier. He should be in tier two or three. I mean, he he has a really nice projection. The problem is the projection is pretty hefty for a guy that we don't know may need Tommy John. Yeah. So yeah, he'd be comparable, I think, to even like Brandon Lau from a rotisserie standpoint if he were completely healthy. But but he's not. He'll zoom up draft boards if we if like we get information, right? Sure. No. If they of report course. to camp and Muncy's like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm ready to go. His recent track record in that lineup with that playing time and multi eligibility, yeah, he'll he'll jump fifty to seventy spots in ADP between now and opening day weekend when when drafts are happening then. But some would you rather toss ups. Like if you're choosing a multi position eligible guy from this bunch, you're looking at DJ LeMayhew coming off the abdominal injury versus Jake Cronenworth. Do you have a strong lean between those two players at price, or do you think both are overpriced? 
I'm going to take Cronenworth. Uh, I have... Uh, I, I like that he gives you some steals. I don't think DJ LeMay is necessarily going to do that much going forward. And then the other thing is there's fairly good analysis out there. And i sorry I can't give you the exact link, but there's some fairly good analysis out there that the Yankees uh, got more of the deadened uh, new balls than mm-hmm. they got of the old balls and that they might have been hurt a little bit more by this two-ball situation we had last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry for the phrasing, but maybe uh, <laughs> maybe don't phrase it that way next time. <laughs> yeah, but uh uh and uh well, that's not good news going forward because uh he's always been a a spray line drive hitter and if you want him to get back to 23 25 homers again, um uh, you want you you want the springier ball. So if he's a guy who hits 290 with, you know, 15 homers and a bunch of runs in RBI, that's great, but you know, I think Cronenworth can get close to him in runs and RBI. Not, you know, DJ LeMahieu will be superior there, but Cronenworth will beat him in steals and maybe even homers. Mm. Yeah. And batting average should be nearly a wash. Yeah, I think until I know LeMahieu's totally healthy, I would rather have Cronenworth of these two. I mean, I think with the next cluster, you get Chris Taylor. I have. No reservations about Taylor, where he's going. Great glue guy for the Dodgers. Great glue guy for us as fantasy players, short uh, and outfield in addition to second base. I think it gets trickier with a guy like Ty France. I don't really feel compelled to draft Ty France inside the top 150. That's where he often goes. I don't know if there's a significant playing time concern for him in Seattle. I don't really see, even if they bring up Rodriguez early and make the outfield more crowded, it hinges a lot hinges on the health of both Kyle Lewis and Mitch Haniger and no one getting traded. So I, I could see France getting another 600 plate appearances, but first base, second base, like if you don't hit for more power, you have to steal some bases. Ty France doesn't steal bases. So I just wonder, is there another level for France that you see beyond what we got in 2021? Or was that kind of the best that we can get from him? And he's the sort of guy that as that team gets better, his role ticks down a little bit. I mean, last year was his age 26 season. By all accounts, that's the peak year for, for uh, players this you know currently. I'm not saying that he's going to fall off a cliff. 26 through 30 is mostly a plateau. But, uh, you know, he was 26. It could have been his, his peak season. It was a nice batting average on balls in play. He is uh, supposed to regress off that. His barrel rate is pedestrian. Uh, honestly, 6.9 for his career. Um, you know, the thing that stands out for me is he's just like pretty good across the board, you know, like, okay, uh, discipline, pretty good contact, pretty good power. Like, I just don't, I don't see that as being someone that, uh, is foundational to their success. Uh, he doesn't stand out on defense. So I, there could be some playing time risk if they make a big splash signing or like, He's not someone that you're like, oh, yeah, that's our number four hitter. <laughs> right. He's the guy right now. But as the lineup gets better, lineup position He'll changes. Get, keep getting pushed down. Yeah. And then eventually, I think playing time, maybe not this season, but I just think that becomes a concern. Also, you're so right. no speed. There's, there's no other ways for him to become more valuable unless he starts launching. If he becomes a 30 homer guy, but he has to barrel the ball more to do that. And I don't see enough there to expect that. So I think he's an easy avoid for me in this range. Muncie, I love the discount. If I had minimal injury risk to that point and somehow felt optimistic about him, I would take the discount because the floor is so good. 
But if I had even a little bit of injury risk already, I'll let someone else get the value in that spot. Uh, Luis Urias qualifies all over. I, is he is he the kind of guy who falls into the playing time trap that we're describing? Does his versatility almost work against him? I think he had a lot of issues throwing the ball last year. Uh, Range-wise, he's fine at third base, but consistency-wise, even making routine plays, there can be some problems. I wonder I wonder really like what's next for him this season. I watch a ton of Brewers games, and, and obviously with the move, I watched a, a few less than usual for a, a little stretch last year, but as much as I wanted the Luis Urias breakout that we saw a year ago to happen, the encore gives me some pause. I like him because of the versatility, but I don't know if there's anything more he can offer us skills-wise. Yeah, I mean, the the good is there. He had the best uh, strikeout rate uh, of his career. Um, you know, he had the best barrel rate of his career. The bad is, is fairly clear, too. Uh, he was 236th among infielders in outs above average. No, that's not all infielders. That's everybody. But still, oh my God, 236 out of 242 qualifiers. D.D. Gregorius was 242nd. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's like an offense platoon guy that you'd almost want to have a defensive replacement for. And if that's the case, that has a little bit to do with why you only see 550 plate appearance projections for a guy who had a 9% barrel rate, 20% strikeout rate, a good, uh, good plate discipline, and some speed. But if there's any team out there that'll find a way to play an offensive-only guy, you know, almost every day, if there's anybody out there that needs offense more than the Brewers. Yeah, well, they, they can't afford to sit a guy that's 10% better than league average if he's even passable with the glove most days. So is there, what's, where's a soft place? You know the Brewers a little better than I do. Off the top of your head, where's a soft place on that depth chart that he could land other than third base? Is there a corner outfield position that he could push somebody out of? I guess if Renfro collapsed, they could tinker What's around the hand, and maybe throw him out there. What's Urias's hand in this? They're right both here. righties. They're both righties, so it's not a natural thing there. He could play some first base because if they go with Rowdy and they want to DH, well, if they if they don't want to play Rowdy against lefties and they want to play someone else at third, they could theoretically play Urias at first as an option. Never really think, thought he'd end up there, but and who's the who's the backup to him at third? Mm, right now, probably technically like Jace Peterson. Who's definitely a, offensively a utility guy. Yeah, he's, and he plays everywhere. It's an interesting bet, man. Uh, I think it's a pretty good bet to take at an MI level because you might get, if he does play every day, uh, these projections are going to be light and you could get a guy even just at the projected level who will hit 260 with 25 homers and 10 steals. Like mm. if they just gave him the position for the year. Right, I think he's a. I think he's a very good draft and hold uh, uh, pick in a in a league where you just need to have multi eligibilities. There'll be there'll be weeks at a time where he's playing all the time, right? There should be, yeah, should be everyday stretches at, at the very least, if not a consistent everyday role all season. If he gets better defensively at third base, then the conversation ends. It's his job. Like it's just not a where do we hide his defense. Today, and he's been moved around. He used to be a shortstop, so it's not implausible that like he could improve at third base. Yeah, just lots of reps, getting better at making those throws. It is uh, implausible, I think, from watching a fair amount of Rowdy to think that his defense will improve. Doesn't seem like unfair <laughs> criticism to me. Oh, man, there was that one big play where the ball went by him. And he didn't get down on the... Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it just I looked like know. his range is... 
how much he can fall to the left or right. We talk, I think it was the table soccer goalie that I had compared <laughs> yeah. him to. You push the button and it's a fall left or a fall right. It's exactly. just, like, just like, that's it. That's the range. And it's, uh, Sorry. All right. We're re- reliving great moments. It's my fault. Two. I wore the hat and it's just, oh, all right. The two Rockies in tier four, Rogers and Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon by projections uh, makes sense value wise. I, I think he's probably a little safer. Um, but I, I don't want to give up on Rodgers just yet, too. I, I think the, the injuries he had during his development in the upper levels of the minor leagues are, are still worth accounting for. I think any player in Colorado with a, a decent K rate has a chance to be great in batting average. We saw it last year at 284 from Rodgers. So even if he just stayed healthy and did what he did last year over 150 games, that's a step forward. Supporting cast could be just awful. So that brings down the, the runs and the RBIs a bit, but... I really don't think there's anything blocking Brendan Rodgers from an expanded role and another step forward other than his own health. Yeah, and it's not like your league is going to, uh, you know, park adjust his stats, right? So uh, I really like Rodgers in a draft and hold situation where not only does he give you dual eligibility at second and short, but uh, he gives you a high floor, actually, which is a guy you play every time he's home. You know, he has won three, if he has at least three games at home, I'm playing him, I'm playing him that week, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's a, a similar profile to what we're getting from Ty France right now, who I don't like at his price, but I think that team is better and there's the glimmers of possible downside there where with Rodgers, there's no playing time concern as a result of the depth chart. So that's the huge difference for me. The last couple guys in this group, I think I failed to mention Eduardo Escobar. He still has some second base eligibility. He's second and third eligible. He's in there along with Colton Wong. I think Wong is one of those consistently, he's sort of like my Gene Segura. Yeah. Where I look at him and say he can do just a little bit of everything. Because he's a great defender at second base, he's less susceptible to moving around and losing a little bit of playing time compared to a lot of other players that start to fall into this range. Uh, So I have no... No issues at all if he's my MI. I'd rather probably have a, a shortstop in that spot if I'm aggressively building from the middle earlier. But in deeper leagues especially, this is this is the safer version of guys like Ahmed Rosario who have some significant issues with the quality of their contact. Not that, not that Wong's out there scalding everything, but I just think we've seen enough of Colton Wong to know that his approach can be sustainable as a big league hitter over full seasons. Yeah, it's really interesting. You might look at uh, Wong's power numbers last year, best homers of his career, best ISO of his career, and say, oh, well, that's just Milwaukee, and maybe it was, but he also had the best barrel rates of his career. Uh, and he had a new p- hitting coach for the you know for the first time in a while. So, um, you know, or, and, and a new park where maybe he just thought, you know, my if I swing hard and, and try to put it in play hard, like this park is going to reward me better than, than Bush did. Um, so in any case, I think he's a, not not necessarily a lock, but you know a fifteen fifteen guy that you can almost write that in pen. I feel like 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Let's get to the last group here, rapid fire, as was the case for the shortstop episode. We're looking at guys like Jonathan Scope, Gene Segura, who we've talked about already. I think it's getting it's short shrift here. You should it's have a known. whole Segura episode. He is he is loved on this podcast. <laughs> uh, we got Kike in this range, Gavin Lux, Josh Rojas, Abe Toro. Andres Jimenez, Garrett Hampson, Nick Madrigal. This is the 200 to 300 range, and it is packed full of players with wide ranges of outcomes for playing time. A lot of guys that could end up in more part-time roles. I think with the versatility of some of these guys, they end up cobbling together everyday playing time despite their flaws. I would say I'm a little worried about Jonathan Scope in the same way as I'm worried about Ty France as the Tigers keep getting better, whereas I, I thought previously he was an undervalued accumulator that might start to dry up a little bit, maybe by the second half of this season. So be a little bit cautious there. Like there might be a better defender at third coming up soon that pushes Candelario to first. They, you know, Candelario's already played some first. I think the highest floor on this list are Segura and Hernandez, uh, Enrique Hernandez. Uh, the highest ceiling in this group is Gavin Lux. I would agree with that. I, th- I still Hapson? think it's still... Garrett Hampson? I- um, or Nick Madrigal. Uh, Madrigal has no power, zero power. He's no power, but he might have a safer hold on playing time. And I wonder what the Cubs are going to be like as far as letting guys run. Is it just going to be maximum green lights for Nick Madrigal, where he could do do the Nicky Lopez sort of thing and hit 280 with zero power, but steal 30 bases over a full season because they just they need to manufacture runs. I don't know. They don't strike me as that. They strike me as more like picking up station to station guys. Although Schwindel is kind of a weird first baseman. They do have, you know, in Horner and Madrigal, they're they're kind of cobbling together stuff. I, You know what? I can't tell you about the Cubs. I can't figure out the Cubs. I can't figure out the Cubs. Are they just, are they in the perpetual rebuild? Are they, are they trying to get better? They do like some interesting moves here or there, but right yeah. now they just seem to be just like... Ca- capturing all the 30 year olds that other teams don't want to play great place to be really but i'm with you on lux i still think one more turn for him makes a lot of sense i think josh rojas 
is okay, but I don't, I don't see a lot of ceiling there. I see more of a playing time floor, better for draft and hold than for, for leagues where we can make moves. But it is a weird place to be for Rojas where it's like, here's a guy who has like the third best ceiling among his peers in that tier and like the third best floor. <laughs> it's like, woohoo, you know? Woohoo, indeed. I think if I'm looking for the cheap speed here, I'd rather go Jimenez than Hampson and Madrigal because I think Andres Jimenez... There's a little more in the bat with him than there is with Hampson and Madrigal. That's the difference for me. There's a better chance he's a passable big league hitter. One thing that disappoints me about Lux is, you know, I'm getting a little bit of a Colton Wong-ish feeling off of him um, because the batted ball stats, we keep giving him more time. We keep giving him more time. Now we've given him 350 batted ball events with a 4.6% barrel rate. That is absolutely below average for a position player. I just don't think, I think the power might have been a PCL uh, aberration. And he's a guy who uh, I think your upside is Wong this year, mm. you know, 265, 15, 15. And that's, that's asking him to steal more than he has and play more than he has. So I say he has the best upside in that tier, but it's also not a tier that has much upside. <laughs> uh, and I think honestly, it's a tier that I don't, in like a 15 team league, I don't, I don't know that I want to take part in. I'm still chasing Gavin Lux. I'm trusting the scouting reports with the power. I think we could see seven and a half to eight percent on that barrel rate. There were glimmers of hope in the hard hit rate in particular. It's just getting the ball in the air more consistently when he makes that hard contact to make it happen. I'm actually a little skeptical of the speed. I think if he steals 15 bases, I'm going to be thrilled because I think he's popping 20 homers while he does it. I think it's more of like a a 20 homer seven steals sort of profile if things start to click 44th and time to first dude well hey you know what maybe it's a little bit like the uh, the run-up to trevor story speed a few years ago where story didn't steal nearly as much as he probably could have at the beginning of his career he was getting to power right away though that's the I don't get those fundamental athlete vibes though didn't you get an athlete vibe off of story from the beginning i mean that guy could throw a hundred and I think people just have a weird reaction to Gavin Lux's face, and I can't figure out why. <laughs> I think they just look at him and they're like, "No, ah, that's not a face to get excited about." <laughs> no, you know, it, it's it's like I'm probably thinking about this a lot because of, of we watched that NFC Championship game together, and everyone just loves Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's like it's the John Ham on Thirty Rock <laughs> situation where it's like everyone around him just thinks he's amazing. And his world is totally different as a result. Gavin Lux is like the opposite of that, which is, that's not fair. Like, I think there are still good skills here. There are good plate skills. The walk rate went up last year. The K rate went down. He's still young. What he did in the PCL just a few years ago, if you contextualize it with WRC Plus, was off the charts good. So I am still chasing Gavin Lux. Uh, As we go, last question to throw at you. This is not a position with lots of late, late sleepers. I mean, if you're looking for sleepers at second base, it's guys like Ramon Urias, who might just play a lot in Baltimore. Maybe Andy Abanez sort of catching his own spot in Texas in an improved lineup. He could take a quiet step forward. I know the baseball forecaster had a nice box on him. Uh, in NL-only leagues, maybe it's like a Tucupita Marcano just playing a lot in Pittsburgh. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of power there in the short term, maybe even the long term, but he might just be a good sort of like batting average, plays every day kind of guy for them. I think if you're looking for actual value here, it's older guys with some bounce back potential Two Mets. Coincidentally, I think Jeff McNeil where he's going right now is a good value. You're trying to get some late average and maybe find a guy that's going to play a ton. He could be that guy. And 
might might take a trade. I think part of why he's not being drafted is because the playing time projections are low, and it might take a trade to get him or an injury. But it just know. seems so likely. They've got enough old guys on that yeah. roster where he'll he'll find playing time. And Robinson Cano is one of those old guys. And could they they could maybe even just cut Cano? You know, Cano has like one or two extra base hits in the entire winter league that he's playing right now. Mm-hmm. I want to give some love to Ramon Urias, who's kind of an old guy that that kind of fits almost, but just doesn't have the same track record. Ramon Urias, among regulars at second base last year, had the sixth best, uh, seventh best barrel rate. Now, I know that park is going to change a little bit, but uh, here's I think he's just boring and maybe not the shortstop of the future, but the shortstop of the present, and it's hard enough to find a shortstop. Then the other thing that I would say is that Pittsburgh is rife for for sleepers. My favorite is not necessarily Topeka. Topeka. Tucapita? <laughs> Marcano. Uh, I really like Rodolfo Castro. Uh, dude has uh, one of those uh, fire plug bodies I've talked about. Is it like a? It's not fire plug. It's a fire hydrant. <laughs> fire hydrant. I think uh, you compare to Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, or or uh, Harrison Bader. Where it's just compact and strong. I mean that mm-hmm. dude, and he had a good barrel. He had the best barrel rate of any Pittsburgh uh, second baseman last year. Obviously, some contact issues. I think they might just let him play it out. Diego Castillo uh, has better defense. I think he might get some time at short. I think Marcano will spend more time in the minors. Um, but those are the two guys for me, Diego Castillo and Rodolfo Castro, that I'm a little bit interested in. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a carousel there. So it's kind of hard to depend on any of those. But if you want to put one on a bench, uh, want to draft one to draft and hold, you want to look for a prospect. Uh, you know, I don't think he has that prospect luster, uh, Castro. So he's the kind of guy you could pick up in a, in a, in a prospect league, in a dynasty league late in the, in the restocking draft or something and just put him on your bench and see what happens. There is a world where Castro kind of improves his contact rate and uh, hits a bunch of homers next year. Yeah, lots of opportunities in Pittsburgh and a handful of names, uh, all more interesting than some of the past options that have been uh, cast out there to try and soak up that excess in playing time. We need to go. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Before we go, I should say, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for 33% off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 